Welcome back to Grid Iron Gamble, the only podcast that puts its money where its mouth is. I'm your host, Rich Ryan, and I'm joined by one member of the collective, Donnie D.P. Peters. And after a 1-4 and four performance, we are currently 4-5-1 and one in the Las Vegas Super Contest, tied for 1,587th place. And I will be the first one to raise my hand and apologize for my failed veto. I did the worst thing possible. I committed the ultimate sin, DP. I put in a loser for a winner. And beyond that, we deferred away from the Green Bay Packers plus seven free square and put in the New Orleans Saints, who we'll discuss in a bit, but could have been three and two, instead one and four. DP, I am crestfallen. Listen, I've been in your shoes before. It's certainly not a spot I would ever want to be in again, but, you know. I, I Listen, I didn't like the Cowboys either. I thought the Cowboys minus three was a ridiculous play by Brett, but he's not here to defend himself, so let's just leave it at that. <laughs> Bert the sharpest. Um, you did give me some positive spin to this. You were putting in some previous winners and where they were at certain points of the contest, and it's definitely not over. It's only week two, and we weren't the only ones to suffer this week. The contest was obliterated by the week two slate. The average point total, now remember, there are 3,123 uh, 3, teams, 31-23. The average point total this week was 1.93. So the average team in the Super Contest got fewer than two games correct. Only 24 were a perfect 5-0, and and only 164 were 4-1. and So fewer than 200 out of 3,100 folks were 4-1 and or better, DP. So I guess this is the, it's like the college football season, right? This is the best time of the year to screw up because we got the rest of the season to try and play catch-up. Definitely. It's certainly better to screw up early on than it is later on. Later on is when things really, really matter. Uh, I mean, the first year that we did this, you know, we had that crazy swing, you know, I don't know, it was like week 11 or week 12, much later in the season. But um, yeah, like you mentioned uh, last year, Granny's Boy, 13 and seven after four weeks. Uh, I mean, that's certainly not blowing doors, but, you know, he did turn it around and go on to win the contest before him. Uh, our buddy Damon Graham, who we had on the podcast recently, uh, pops 2008. He was 16 and 14 through six weeks. I mean, that's just that's as average as it gets picking games um, through almost half the season. But went on a crazy run, ended up winning the whole thing, and then rounding again. Uh, they posted a zero four and one uh, result in week 11, uh, which is you know kind of the outlier because that was pretty late that they you know earned uh, only a half point in one week, and then also. Uh, they went two and three the next week in week 12. So uh, two, seven, and one across two weeks in weeks 11 and 12, but still went on to win it. So, I mean, this contest is crazy. Like you said, anything can happen. There can certainly be more weeks like this wild one that we just saw where people are getting, uh, you know, the average contestant is getting less than two points. And if we can just put together a run, um, we can make it happen again. Plus with the uh, the double amount of payouts that are happening this year, I mean, it's not a ton more, but it is 100 this year as opposed to 50 in the past year. So just got to turn it around in week three. We'll get to the payouts in a second. I just want to add to all of this. The consensus top five picks, so if you took the five most popular selections 
and made a card of them, you would have went 0-5. Houston, New York Giants, Pittsburgh Steelers, New England Patriots, Philadelphia Eagles, 0-5. If you extend that to the top 13 picks, the 13 most popular selections in the Super Contest for Week 2, you would go 3-10. and 10. So... <laughs> Okay. And then just piggybacking off that, if you want to look at the Super Contest Gold Consensus, which is largely considered the sharper of the two contests, $5,000 buy-in, winner-take-all, that sort of thing, uh, the top eight uh, most popular picks there, one and seven. Crazy, crazy, crazy. All right, last week, bad hosting by me, but also lack of information made it difficult for me to deliver. The payout information, the prize pool structure, like I said, 3,100 entrance, DP, what's the lowdown? Who's getting paid? What are we playing for in this thing? Well, everyone's playing for that top prize, $1.422 million to first place. That's up from last year's $1.327 million uh, that Granny's Boy uh, took home. And the top 100 places are going to be paid at least as it stands right now, barring any ties that happen. If there are any ties, um, they, you know, they take the places that are tied, they put all the money together, and they split it evenly. Um, so we may see more than 100 places pay out um, just how it finishes out at the end of the year. Uh, as you mentioned, Rich, uh, 3,123 entries that generated a prize pool of more than $4.3 million. It's the first time the Super Contest has generated a prize pool of more than uh, $4 million. So there's tons to play for. A little, little uh, kind of wonkiness at the top. Uh, $1.422 million for first place, $517,000 for second place. I mean, that's a $900,000 gap between first and second. Seems kind of insane, but, I mean, let's just go get the win. And then also... Uh, Three $15,000 mini contests are up for grabs. There's the early sign-up bonus mini contest. There's the first quarter bonus mini contest and the halftime bonus mini contest. These are all worth $15,000 a piece. Uh, the first quarter one is the first one that's up for grabs. That's up for grabs over the first four weeks of the season. Uh, the contestants accumulate the most points over the first four weeks of the season will be awarded a $15,000 bonus prize. If there's anyone that's tied over that period of time, they split it evenly. And we all know we're going for that top prize. Daddy needs a new pair of shoes. Let's go over some of our stats before we get into the games themselves. And Monuara put together another strong week. I'm sure he's pissed that we took until the six and a half minute mark to mention that he went three and two on what would have been his top five, putting him at eight and two for the season. Congratulations and well done, Mo. Ya boy. Went one and four, mirroring mirroring the collective in the contest. The collective card, our top five aggregate, also went one and four. Brett went two and three, and Donnie went zero oh and five. Trying to skip past that one. Hey, if you look at the middle, I did really well. <laughs> yeah, Mo uh, Donnie goes eight and eight for all sixteen games, including the Thursday night game, and puts five losers on his card. That's I mean, I, yeah. I, I don't know what to say, man. We'll get into it, but I I just I got no words. Remarkable. Uh, all right, time to bounce back. Also, you know we're in trouble. You know we're in trouble when the Lone Wolves. We go six and two in Lone Wolves. DP, this was your strongest department. Three and zero, undefeated in week two in Lone Wolves. Everybody had a Lone Wolf win. Uh, Brett went one and zero. Donnie three and zero. And Mo and myself went one and one. DP, that's never, never, never a good sign. Definitely never a good sign unless you got a lone wolf as your top pick. But which Brett that's did? That's a very rare occasion. Which Brett did? Brett had one on the card, and I vetoed it off like a dummy. Consensus after starting five zero and one on Sunday, we went one and four. So 
just about as bad as possible week two, but hopefully we can bounce back. Let's go through the games, and we will start with the one that was near and dear to my, my heart, the, the game I vetoed on, the game I was most invested in. It was Dolphins at Jets. The Jets were small, feet short favorites, minus two and a half at home. The betting was split 50-50, but the performance was not. A lot of errors by the Jets. Costly turnovers in their own half. Sam Darnold was baited by TJ McDonald on one throw, intercepted in the first half. And then I believe it was the second half or late in the first half, Robbie Anderson had a costly fumble in uh, in Jets territory. And then the third one was the one that really was the nail in the coffin. The Jets started staging what looked like it could be an insane comeback. Uh, but Sam Darnold, after a turnover, uh, threw his own interception in the end zone. Terrell Pryor came out after the game and kind of accept, accepted blame for the play. Uh, it was first play after recovering a fumble. Uh, Terrell Pryor was running a seam route into the end zone. And he really could have fought inside and at least made it more difficult uh, for uh, Xavier uh, to make the interception. I'm, I'm blanking on the gentleman's name. Uh, I don't want to say it's Xavier Rhodes because that's the uh, the cornerback for the Minnesota Vikings. So this is me stalling. Xavier Howard. Xavier Howard. He was the gentleman who came out in primetime last year and picked off Tom Brady twice. Really nice player. Uh, and he just got inside on the seam route and, and made the play. It was definitely a very aggressive throw from Mr. Donald, but I think Terrell could have done a little more to make that a contested play. But I, I still, I don't, DP, I don't hate this pick. Uh, the Jets outgained the Dolphins by a full yard, and yards per play. And the biggest issue, beyond all these bad turnovers, was they didn't start a drive further than the 25-yard line the entire game. Kudos to the Dolphins special teams uh, and their punt team. The Jets never, ever were in position to really get a drive going, DP. They were always in the shadow of their own goalposts. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't too worried throughout most of this game. It just seemed like the Jets were just making a bunch of stupid mistakes and just needed to kind of get their head on straight and turn things around. Um, You know, like you mentioned, you know, they were moving the ball pretty well. They looked all right. Um, They weren't moving the ball so much on the ground, which who really cares? But Sam Darnold looked fine. I mean, he did have a bit of iffiness early on, but that's similar to he did in in the first week. And then he seemed to be turning around, hitting his wide receivers, uh, most notably Quincy Nunwa, just kind of anywhere and everywhere. Uh, he looked for a Nunwa minus that one time he tried to throw it to him in the end zone. But other than that, I think things seemed all right. And Miami didn't seem like they were doing too much um, on either side of the ball. They were getting after the quarterback a little bit, but um, Miami's offense, I don't know. I, I'm not, I, I, I want to, I want to say that Miami is sneaky good, at least sneaky. Like, you know, their floor is pretty high, but their ceiling is very low. Um, and they can be someone we can look to going forward. But I watched a lot of that game, and I'm just I'm like, what is this team? They just look like nothing out there. I would like the Dolphins a lot more if they were able to muster more than 20 points in this spot. I, I like Gase. I, I tend to favor offensive coaches because, as I mentioned in a preseason podcast, I think the effect that they can have on the overall team is higher than a defensive coach just because it's inherently so difficult to play defense, so it's hard to separate yourself from the mean. Uh, and I think Gase really has developed a system that is tailored to what Ryan Tannehill does well. 
and it was nice to see Tannehill get out and run a little bit off that ACL surgery from last year that sidelined him for the entire season. There were a lot of read options where the Jets just didn't do a good job in contain, and Ryan Tannehill was able to squirt out and either extend the drive or even get a first down, and that really killed the Jets towards the end there. So kudos to them, and you know, good good on Ryan Tannehill for being tough enough to, to run those plays despite being on a reconstructed knee. Uh, but yeah, I, I feel like they should have. They definitely had more opportunities to put up twenty more than twenty points in this contest. Uh, both of these teams, the Jets and the Dolphins, they are your classic NFL teams that could go anywhere from six and ten to ten and six based upon how the ball bounces. And uh, this was a big win for the Dolphins to go on the road and get that get that victory because it it definitely puts them in position uh, to maybe be in that top end and finish with ten and six and nine and seven. Moving on to the one game that I really thought that we were going to cover in the 1 o'clock window. Uh, the 1 o'clock window was pretty brutal for us because we had four games going, and three of them felt like we were throwing dead the entire time. But this one, I felt like we were in it, DP. Carolina at Atlanta. We had Carolina plus six. You actually were a lone wolf on the Falcons. This was one of your three lone wolf victories. The game was tight, back and forth the entire time. You, of course, had that Cam Newton hit, the cheap shot that removed Keanu Neal's replacement, was ejected from the game. Uh, and some of the throws that Cam made during that game were a bit questionable, and you would want to point your finger to, ooh, maybe he was woozy, maybe he had his brain scrambled a little bit on that play, but he bounced back and led them down for a touchdown on that drive, making some of his best throws on that drive. So it's really hard to draw that correlation. Uh, the issue here was that the Carolina defense just had no answer for the Falcons. The Falcons averaged 7.4 yards per play. I mean, they were just walking down the field. It was a coming out party for Calvin Ridley, who cemented himself as the number two receiver on this team. He was targeted five times, caught four of them for 64 yards and a touchdown. DP, the Panthers really had no answer for the Falcons' offense, and we really thought that the Panthers would be the ones scoring here with all the Falcons' injuries. But here's Atlanta coming off of that Week 1 loss with a, a pretty big statement within the division. Well, you thought. You three yeah. thought. Yeah, it's true. I, I thought that this game would go a bit like it did. Um, I actually thought that the Falcons would win by a little bit more. Uh, and cover a little bit easier. I mean, they only won by seven, but whatever. That's neither here nor there. Uh, to me, I mean, you mentioned the Falcons being able to move the ball seemingly at will. Uh, it wasn't so much through the air. It was more with the running backs between Tevin Coleman and Ito Smith. Um, it just seemed like every time they touched the ball out of the backfield, they were just getting chunks and chunks and chunks of yardage. I mean, Tevin Coleman ran uh, for 107 yards on just 16 carries. That's an average of 6.7 yards per carry. Uh, I mean, he looked really, really good, um, and it's kind of expected. I think everyone, you know, really thinks that he's a super talented player, and uh, he's likely going to go somewhere else and be a star uh, after his contract is up this year. Just knowing that they signed Devonte Freeman for longer, but uh, I was, I was surprised that there wasn't more on the Panthers' side of the ball while watching the game in terms of their passing attack, and then also being able to work off that passing attack with getting Cam out there more with his legs. Um, I'm not sure if that hit that you mentioned, Rich, just kind of allowed them to be a little bit safer with Cam. But I think in order for him to be full on Cam Newton, he needs to just be kind of running wild and throw caution to the wind in a lot of spots. 
Um, I mean, he was super cautious on that play when he got drilled and the safety just absolutely illegally murdered him. It was so wrong. Um, but yeah, I, I, the Panthers defense to me, they just, they couldn't stop the Falcons. I thought that this was just overall a decent bounce back spot for the Falcons. Uh, just being at home, being on their faster home turf in front of their fans, you know, just with a Panthers defense that to me is they're good, but they're not like they were a couple years ago. So I looked for the Panther, the Falcons to rebound here and they did. The toughest play of the game for us as Panthers backers was in the middle of the fourth quarter, Carolina down 31 to 17. They did end up making it 31 24, but in the drive before they did, they were all the way in Falcons territory. They were on the 22 yard line. And for some reason, he must have just been gassed. Christian McCaffrey must have just been gassed. But CJ Anderson was in for the hurry up offense. CJ dropped a pass earlier. And then here we are on the 22 yard line. CJ runs your classic, uh, like out and in route. And the ball just caroms right off his face and gets intercepted. And it's just, you're just, you're a professional athlete, guy. Come on. It's just so brutal to watch. I, I really think the Panthers could have snuck back into this game had they converted that and made it 31-24 uh, with seven minutes remaining as opposed to when they did uh, with a minute and 30 remaining. So six crucial minutes were given up and just a, a brutal, brutal red zone interception. The Panthers need to do something with their wide receivers, like get them more involved, use them more. I mean, I feel like it's just always, it was a lot of Greg Olson. He's now out and now it's just either Cam's going to be running the ball the few times that he does run the ball game or there's dumping it off to the running backs. Yeah. It's one of those things where Curtis Samuel missed the game. Uh, DJ Moore is still a rookie and he did catch a 51 yard pass, but it seems like he's still working his way into the offense and Torrey Smith, he did catch a touchdown in this game, but he's also acclimating to a new place. Jarius Wright and Devin Funchess are the only receivers that have been there for a while. So they're the only ones that might have a, a rapport with Cam Newton. And it was Jarius Wright who stepped up in the absence of Curtis Samuel. He got seven targets, caught five of them for 62 yards and a touchdown. So if you are in desperate need of a, of a wide receiver three or wide receiver four in fantasy, Jarius Wright uh, deserves a look. But yeah, you're right. Until these guys kind of grow into their roles, this Panthers offense could be limited. Uh, I still just thought it was a decent spot with, with the Falcons missing their key pieces on D. We'll, move, we'll keep it in the NFC South in a game that was really weird. Anybody that knows Gridiron Gamble knows that a week like this, we should have crushed, right? The dogs this week were absolutely barking in the contest, nine and five underdogs went in the super contest. Three and one were home dogs, but we went on a limb and we took a big favorite. We laid the eight and a half with the New Orleans Saints because we thought it was a great spot after New Orleans pooped the bed against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in week one. And the Cleveland Browns played a really messy contest in the rain. We didn't really know. If the Steelers' struggle, tr struggles excuse me, were of their own accord or were, were because of the Browns' defense, and we were getting a point and a half of value because the line was actually 10 in real life. So we thought it was a perfect storm to take a big home favorite. And lo and behold, DP, I think this Cleveland Browns' defense is for real. The New Orleans Saints, they averaged 
get this. This is just mind-blowing to me. Four and a half yards per play. That's about as pedestrian as it gets, DP. Yeah, the Saints, they looked super pedestrian. Uh, most notably, Alvin Kamara. It just seemed like anytime they tried to get him active, whether it was uh, short pass plays or out of the uh, running out of the backfield, the, the Browns were there and ready to stop him. Uh, Kamara only had 46 yards on the ground and then 53 yards in the air. I mean, that's almost 100 yards total. But for him, that's that's not the Alvin Kamara that we've we've come to come to know. Um, he just didn't seem like he was ever able to really get going. He would have kind of one big play, and then he would have a whole long period of time when he just couldn't get involved. Drew Brees, to me, was a bit surprising in this game. He threw a lot to Michael Thomas. Um, he completed 12 of those times for 89 yards. Uh, I mean, Thomas looked good. Um, I was surprised that Drew Brees didn't look elsewhere. It seemed like he was always looking at Michael Thomas. And he just, his throws watching that game, it just, he seemed off a bit um, in terms of like his accuracy. He didn't seem like the Drew Brees of old. Um, he did throw for 243 yards. That's pedestrian by uh, the Brees that we know. Um, but he just, he did, he seemed off a little bit for whatever reason. I don't know if it was, you know, the pass rush was getting to him. It seemed like it was all game. It just seemed like he didn't have a lot of time to throw. Maybe his receivers weren't as open as he liked or had anticipated, but Drew Brees to me seemed really off. And I think that that kind of, you know, held things back through the whole offense, trying to put up points uh, on the Browns. Yeah. I think that credit goes to Miles Garrett and Larry Ogin, Ogin Joby. I mean, those guys, the pass rush that the Browns can generate with just those two guys, Miles Garrett especially, is incredible. And they're going to be a problem. We saw the Steelers, obviously we don't like the Chiefs defense, but they pretty much did whatever they wanted against the Chiefs. And they really struggled against the Browns. And the Saints really struggled on that fast track against the Browns. Like you said, Drew Brees went to the one guy he could really trust in a tight situation, and that's Michael Thomas. I mean, Michael Thomas is a bit of a cheat code. He's so big, so fast, and so athletic. Like you said, he, he, he caught 12 balls for 89 yards. He was targeted 13 times, brought two of those in for touchdowns. The, the biggest issue with the Browns is going to be their offense until they hand the reins over to Baker Mayfield or at least allow Tyrod to be a little more creative. Although Tyrod, his struggles remained, held the ball a ton, he fumbled twice in this game. They were both recovered uh, by the Browns, so that's a, a bit of turnover luck that we were unable to capture. Uh, and then he threw one of the worst interceptions that you'll ever see in that fourth quarter. He thought he had the slant, and the safety just baited him so hard, jumped the route, and that was pretty much the ball game for the Browns there. Browns play Thursday night against my fight in New York Jets, and I am concerned about that Browns front because, as Mo has said these past couple weeks now, and I agree with him, the biggest leak in for the Jets right now is their pass blocking, and I have no idea how we're going to stop Miles Garrett. Uh, the Saints, 0-2, but DP, you're not ready to write them off. You found some interesting trends about them starting slow these past couple of years. Yeah, if you want to look at the Super Contest and and uh, the against the spread records, the Saints have started 0-2 um, straight up and against the spread in 2017, 2015, and 2014, so three of the past four years. And then in 2016, they started 1-1 against the spread and 0-2 straight up. Uh, slow starts for them. I think that we've come to know that they start pretty slow. I don't know if that's just that they don't really go hard in you know preseason and they kind of take like, 
the approach that everyone talks about Bill Belichick, where he uses September, Sean Payton does as an extension of the preseason before they really get into it. They really get acclimated to the game speed and the game environment and all that sort of stuff. And then they start doing well uh, much later on. And then across those four years, here's their finishing against the spread records uh, in the super contest for the saints. So, 2017, they ended up going eight and eight against the spread. 2016, 11 and five. 2015, seven, eight and one. 2014, six and ten. So, the 2016, they they turned it around really well. They started 0 and two. They ended up going 11 and five. Um, the the other years, they're hovering around 500, a little bit below 500, but they do seem to turn it around a little bit. At least get back to an average uh, result as opposed to just being horrible. I was. Uh, pleasantly surprised with uh, an improvement by the Saints defense but I'm reluctant to say that they have got everything together last year the Saints defense was really good we thought that they were going to be great this year again uh, they weren't in week one against Ryan Fitzpatrick and the Buccaneers uh, this week I don't know if it was them improving or Rich like you had mentioned they just didn't let Tyrod really do anything so is it just a game plan on the other side of the ball or is it the saints actually getting a bit better? And then the offense was the one that didn't allow them to get the cover here. Yeah. I'm, I'm not impressed at all about this Browns offense. So I'm, I'm totally going to give the credit to uh, the Browns defense as a unit in this game. And I'm not going to be, I'm, I'm not saying that the saints are, are back in terms of defense just because they held a, an, a, a very, uh, flaccid Tyrod Taylor led offense to fewer points this week against the Falcons in Atlanta will be a much better test to see whether or not the Saints are the same old Saints that give up heaps of points every week and need to outscore their opponents or if they're at least closer to what we saw last year when they finished top 10 in defense DVOA and then one last thing did we overlook a little Greg Williams effect here at all no I don't think so. Just throwing it out there. I'm pretty sure the Browns played in New Orleans, or they've, they couldn't have because you play every four years. Mm, I I don't know. I I, I don't, uh, I don't really prescribe to too much, too many of those theories. Uh, These guys are playing professional football, right? They don't need, nobody needs extra motivation when you're going out. Not extra motivation, but just that Greg Williams coached the Saints and, knows them and is allowed to then prescribe his defense a bit better to go against the Saints. Yeah, that that definitely could be it. He has seen more of Drew Brees than maybe anybody else because he was there for a while. So there there might be something to that. We'll keep it in the AFC North. As I mentioned, the Steelers had no problems walking up and down the field against the Kansas City Chiefs. They scored 37 points and lost by five because the Kansas City Chiefs walked into Heinz Field, averaged 8.3 yards per play, scored 42 points. Pat Mahomes scored six touchdowns. DP, is his bust made yet? Can we call Canton to ensure that his bust is created? If it's not created yet, I'm in the process of making one because I've been down on Pat Mahomes. I, I mean, I just I, I just can't buy in going into a season on an unknown quarterback, and everyone was touting this guy so high I mean, we talked about it on our fantasy football podcast uh, when we previewed the quarterbacks and stuff, just how I just can't buy into a quarterback. I have no idea what he's going to be in his first uh, season as a, as a full-time starter, but he looks incredible. I mean, <laughs> like I said, I'm ready to make the bus for him. I will say, I don't want to dampen the excitement too much, but he's 
he's making throws that are designed for him that are perfect. Like if you look at some of these touchdowns, some of these seam routes to Travis Kelsey, the first touchdown, great throw into a tight window. But the second touchdown, I mean, Travis Kelsey is just walking down the seam by himself. You just got to hit him. The wide open Chris Conley touchdown, this play design, Andy Reid is absolutely killing it with Pat Mahomes right now. And it's one of those things where I wonder if Andy really wanted to do this, but he knew that Alex Smith just wouldn't push the ball down the field, either that he wasn't good at it or he just didn't have the stones to do it, so he didn't draw up these kinds of concepts. But Because I remember Andy Reid with DJax, right? I remember Deshaun Jackson streaking down the field in Philadelphia, and I can only imagine how much Andy Reid was salivating to put Pat Mahomes behind center and draw up some of these concepts because these guys are just wide open. And Steelers' defense, I'm, I'm not too, too in love with their pieces outside of the front seven. I think the front seven is pretty terrific. Vince Williams, John Bostick, TJ Watt. They've got some really tremendous players in the front seven, but their secondary leaves something to desire. But even that being said, like I don't think they're going to look as bad as they did in this game. And the Kansas City Chiefs are really, really dangerous, DP. Their biggest issue is what happens when they play a team with a great defense? That's their issue. Well, it's not, I don't even think it's necessarily a team with a great defense, but it's similar to what we saw in the Super Bowl last year, where it's that the one team that gets the one stop, right? I mean, this time it was the Steelers couldn't score with them. Um, I mean, they they started down what was 21 uh, 0, and then they ended up turning it around a little bit later. So the, the Chiefs got off to a slow start. What if the Chiefs have to play from behind? What if they're down like, you know, 14 0, 14 3, 10 nothing, something like that, and they got to play from behind? Is that. Is that defense able to get them, you know, a stop or two when they need it in order to keep the offense in the game? Um, I mean, we know the offense can score. The offense has just been going buck wild for the past two weeks, and I think that that's going to, you know, large in part keep up throughout the season. But is their defense going to be able to shore things up? And then just quickly on the Steelers' defense, they're now one and seven against the spread since Ryan Chazier got hurt. Yeah, that's a. Uh... And, I mean, you mentioned going over the middle, Ryan Chazier, linebacker. The middle was wide open all day for Kansas City. So, yeah. Yeah, Travis Kelsey, seven catches, 109 yards, two touchdowns. The Steelers really abandoned the run here, and I understand why. Uh, As you said, getting down 21 zap. Eight carries in this contest for James Conner. One of the things that you can do to try and limit a team like Kansas City is slow the game down. This is what the Cowboys did when they had a healthy offensive line and Zeke running at all cylinders. One of their weapons was not only how good they were at running the ball, but they just sucked the life out of games and reduced the number of plays that both teams were able to employ. And that's one of the strategies that I think some of these mediocre teams in the NFL are going to have to use against the Chiefs because the more they're like the, the Golden State Warriors, right? The more possessions there are in a game, the more plays that are run, the Chiefs are just going to end up outscoring you. So bad teams are going to have to come in and kill the game, slow the game down by running the ball, and hope that they don't get down by too many points. I really thought this was a slam dunk spot for the Steelers. We all like them. Even Mo, the resident Chefs fan, he had the Steelers in the middle of his card, but the Chiefs just really didn't give a fuck about the spot or the market, 
And they just well, Mo stopped. knows the the Steelers always seem to just crush the Chiefs yeah, all yeah. the time, and, and they it, always just seem to line up and run straight, which they didn't here. You mentioned James Conner's numbers, eight carries. That's horrible. I mean, they were down super early, but if you're gonna have Big Ben throwing the ball, this Big Ben, 2018 Big Ben throwing the ball 60 times, you're not gonna win a football game. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, reeks of desperation. Let's go to our only cover in the one o'clock slate here, Pacific time, four o'clock slate, Eastern time. We faded Jimmy GQ and the San Francisco 49ers, who were somehow six-point favorites in the Bay, hosting Matt Patricia and the Detroit Lions. Lions almost won this outright. There was a really, really questionable defensive holding penalty on a Lions uh, interception in the fourth quarter that would have given them the lead. Jimmy GQ just threw an awful pass to the left-hand side, got jumped, and uh, just a phantom holding call saved them here. And the the Lions really had their way on offense at the end there. Pretty much as we predicted, if the Lions weren't going to compete to win the game, the back door was going to be wide open. And on their final scoring drive, they were just getting yards in chunks, throwing the ball to the Galladay's, Tates, and Joneses of the world. I was never worried in this one, DP. Seemed like a pretty easy cover, and I was very happy to escape Sunday with at least one point. Definitely super happy to escape with at least one point. As you mentioned, uh, average points per contestant was 1.93, so better than halfway there uh, with with this one cover. But yeah, I, I likewise didn't feel uh, too worried about this one. Um, even when they were down by more than six points, I felt like there was a backdoor cover coming at some point. Uh, throughout this game um, and it, it came at the end uh, you know like you mentioned the 49ers were playing off and that's oftentimes when you know a team is just playing to win trying to preserve the W and they they let the other team score just so they can get the ball back and run the clock out which is what happened here so yeah I mean Jimmy GQ I mean he looks scared in the pocket at times a lot of these interceptions that he's thrown this year I mean granted he was playing the Vikings that really good defense in week one who get after it and then have uh, insane DBs all over the field um, he just he seems like he doesn't want to get hit. And if you're an NFL quarterback, you need to be able to stand in the pocket and take a hit if you're going to deliver a pass. Yeah, you got to stand tall. And this isn't really a Lions defense that generates too much of a pass rush. They're not that great in the front seven. But yeah, Jimmy G, 26 attempts, 206 yards. Nothing to really write home about. Uh, the Lions in a very weird place. We mentioned on the Friday podcast that there are rumblings of mutiny that this was a winning team, a 9-7 and team last year, and all of a sudden Matt Patricia tries to come in and instill that Patriot way, that really strong culture, and you've got veterans looking around like, bro, we're not the Browns. Like We went 9-7 and last year. We don't need to change all that much. So starting off 0-2, and now you've got the teacher coming into town, DP. What is Bill Belichick going to do to Matt Patricia in primetime this week? He's going to just crap all over his face, I feel like. I, I mean, listen, if, if Matt Patricia's smart, he takes the game plan that was instituted by the Jaguars last week. I mean, that's how you beat the Patriots, is you just throw and you throw and you throw and you throw and you rely on your defense to get some stops and you just keep throwing on this horrible Patriots defense. 
uh, Matt Stafford, that Lions offense, they have enough weapons to be able to go toe-to-toe with the Patriots. The Patriots' defense is bad. The Lions' defense isn't that good either. Um, but at home in Detroit, if Matt Patricia's smart, he just goes guns blazing. At this point, I don't think there's anything he can lose. He's, the guy started the season 0-2. He can't be playing this game safe. He certainly shouldn't be playing this game safe. But, but yeah, I mean, I think that this this whole the Bill Belichick coaching tree thing, it, it, it works two ways, two uh, like GMs and people that are hiring these coaches, it looks good. Like, oh, you're the disciple of Bill Belichick. You're going to get a job and you're going to be good. We've seen it with Bill O'Brien. We saw it with um, Josh McDaniels. You now see it with uh, Matt Patricia. But to the players, it's like, I think the players realize, I mean, Rich, you mentioned they went nine and seven last year. This guy walks in, you got a bunch of veterans. You look at him like, who are you? I think the players know that everything in New England is Bill and the uh, the other peaches, pieces on the coaching staff are just pieces. They're just there. So they look at them and be like, you know, you didn't win those rings. Those are all Bill. So if somebody like Matt Patricia comes into this Lions locker room and he's trying to instill this whole new culture and, you know, lean on the fact that he has how many championship rings, well, the players are looking at him like, well, that wasn't you, man. That was Bill. We look at what you did last year in the Super Bowl, and it didn't look good. Man, definitely going to be an interesting contest between those two teams. We talked about it last week. We tried to assess, did we learn anything? I definitely learned something this week. I learned to listen to the slogan, trust the collective, three and two, if we just stick to the card that we were going to submit, but we got cute mostly because of me and went one and four. But from the NFL, DP, did you learn anything this week? Or are we still playing wait and see, given that it's only week two? Um, I think we learned... I think we learned a little bit, not as much as we would like to have learned. I mean, there are only two games this year. Um, I think the two primetime games, Sunday night football and Monday night football, taught us a lot. At least they taught me a lot. I think that this Bears team is going to kind of be a darling for us to watch. They were last year at times. Um, similar sort of thing this year. Uh, but you have to kind of take that with a grain of salt and look at it and say, okay, do I really want to bet on the, the Bears if they're going to be favorites every week? Um, we really love them last year when they were dogs a lot of the times because they play super, super tough. They have a really good defense. Uh, it seems like they're going to be in a lot of games and they, they can get a lot of covers if they're getting points, but I'm not so sure I want to be laying, you know, three and a half like, we, like the people were on Monday night. Um, that said, uh, you look at the Giants-Cowboys game. So – the Giants are, I don't know what the hell they are. They're just bad. But the Cowboys still only put up 20 points. Oh, the Cowboys I mean, are bad too. Yeah, so th- they got the cover. They won the game. But I'm still going to be looking for a ton of spots to fade the Cowboys. I think that just that game being in prime time, you know, you get Collinsworth and Al Michaels, and they're just like the hype train, just driving the hype train for America on Sunday Night Football. I think that a lot of people are just going to buy and Oh, the Cowboys are fine. They're back. They just beat the Giants 20-13, to 13, that sort of stuff. But if you actually watch that game, the Cowboys were horrible on offense, like absolutely horrible. If it wasn't for the Giants just being completely inept, the Cowboys would have lost that game. But the Giants have no idea what they're doing. So I'm going to be looking for spots. Well, I think that a lot of people are just going to be fading the Giants just because of the way that they've looked these past two weeks. But I think you can look to fade a team that's probably going to be pretty popular. I mean, they did go 0-1 in the first week, but now they're 1-1. They look a bit better. But that offense, they just I don't see how they're going to be able to score at all. And you want to give some love to the Dallas defense, right? You want to give some love to Demarcus Lawrence and Taco Charlton and the pass rush that they generated. 
But we then also have to understand how bad the Giants' offensive line is. The Giants' offensive line is bad, and, and Eli, I mean, it's like tacking a cone. That guy cannot move. Like, it's just, he tried to, like, run that one play and, like, get out of the way of the defender, and he just got absolutely leveled because he is, he's the most unathletic person in the universe back there. I put it in the chat yesterday. Sunday Night Football was the ultimate running backs don't matter Super Bowl. You've got Zeke on one side, Barkley on the other, high draft picks, and don't get me wrong, incredible talents. These guys are excellent at football. They're tremendous running backs. But it doesn't matter when folks can't block for you. It just doesn't matter. And we saw that Sunday night. Barkley was good out of the backfield catching the ball. But what do you have, 20 yards rushing? You know, couldn't get anything going because it doesn't matter if there's nowhere to run. It's insane to me. It's like infuriating to me. Thanks again, New York Giants, for Sam Darnold. Really appreciate it. And then another thing that uh, I'm going to be watching for is this Bengals team. So Bill Lazor, uh, Bill Lazor, try yeah, telling y'all. So if, yeah, but if you, I mean, you watched the game Thursday night. We didn't have it on our card Thursday night game rule Thursday night football. But when Joe Mixon went out, that offense could not move, could not move. And now he's going to be out for two to four weeks with this, uh, you know, minor surgery in his knee. So. I think that, you know, they're 2-0, and they won two games, they look pretty good doing it, but now is that offense going to stall because they don't have Mixon in there? In that time when they didn't have Mixon in there on Thursday night, the Ravens got back into that game, and, the, you know, the Bengals just couldn't move the ball. I definitely agree that it's a downgrade from Mixon to Geo, but I still like Geo, and Geo can do the things that help Andy Dalton, which I think is the most important. He's a great safety valve. When something's awry down the field, you can always dump it off to Geo. Yeah, he's not going to make those insane cuts that Mixon does. He might not make a three-yard play into a seven-yard play, but Geo will get his, and I think he'll be an okay replacement. Uh, I do agree it's a, it's a little bit of a loss, but I, I do trust in Bill Lazor, and I think that this Bengals team is going to be frisky. I, In fact, I would have them as favorites to win the, NFC North, the AFC North right now. Oh, I, I agree. I mean, you got a really big test. This is another thing um, that I think I'm learning is that this Buccaneers defense, at least the front seven, is pretty good. Um, they can just get after the quarterbacks uh, like they have been. Um, they got after Drew Brees down in New Orleans in week one. They got it for the Eagles uh, in week two. Uh, now they're going to go uh, against Big Ben Monday Night Football next week. I mean, Big Ben is notorious, especially 2018 Big Ben, for holding the ball way too long, trying to make things happen, trying to be, you know, that early career Big Ben that was able to have three people draped all over him and still make incredible passes. He's not that Big Ben anymore. He's old. He's always banged up. Um, he's a big-ass diva. Uh, I, I mean, I'm looking for the Buccaneers here to just continue this role. I think that their defense is sneaky good so far. At least they're playing really well, even though they have injuries, uh, you know, to their secondary. I think the front seven is kind of what's holding that thing together, and they're they're a team. I think we can uh, possibly look to to get some value on going forward. Last week, I think the Bengals were somewhere in the neighborhood of plus 400, plus 300 to win the division. They are currently plus 200 on Vegas Insider. Pinnacle has not released their futures yet for the week, but plus 200 for the Bengals. I think you're too late. <laughs> you know, I don't know if I bet that at plus 200. Yeah, but why aren't they favorites? Come on. Well, because the market, and the market's still going to pile Steelers to in the division. Because the Steelers, they, they love Pittsburgh. But yeah, that's a, how crazy is that Monday night game? You know, are the Bucks really going to go 3-0? and Are the Steelers really going to go 0-2-1? You know? 
I can't I can't put any trust in the Steelers team right now, man. I just I can't do it. And I mean, the Bucks are. I I also I don't want to buy all the hype because we know the I know powder that a large keg. of it is just hype. We know the powder keg. We know keg how the story is, ends. It always. Explodes. But I feel like I feel like keg does. I feel like when he needs it, like those those players that have contract years and just ball out to get the payday, like I keg needs it because. After this week, Jameis is coming back. I feel like he's, I mean, not that we're not going to see one or two ridiculous interceptions, but I think that, you know, he could have five touchdowns, two interceptions a, a week like that again, you know, where the touchdowns just are so great and so crazy and their highlights and all this sort of stuff that you just forget about the horrible throws that he actually made throughout the game. Right, right, right. So that, that Monday night tilt is going to be fascinating. And of course, the Steelers are road favorites in that contest. Which is fascinating in and See, of that's, itself. That to me is a mistake. Home dog, Bucks playing well. Steelers, Monday, don't think they can get it together. I like Monday that night football. I would say great fans, but I don't know if there's even fans in Tampa Bay. Sorry. And it seems that seems also like a game. The Steelers are favored now. They could be favored by more come game time. People need to chase their losses. They're going to go with the public team. They're going to be betting on the Steelers. We shall. See, we'll talk about that game, I'm sure, on Friday when we make our Week 3 Super Contest card. Hope you join us again then. Hope you are subscribing. If you rate and review us, that would be extremely helpful as well. Follow us on Twitter at GridironGamble and follow Donnie at Donnie underscore Peters. I am at Rich T. Ryan. We will do our best to improve upon our 1 and 2 Week 2. But until then, enjoy the rest of your week. We'll see you on Friday. Peace.